The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. In 2017, England handled the expectations of winning a home 50-over World Cup in front of a packed-out Lords. Today on Road to the T20 World Cup, we catch up with the coach of the Australian women's cricket team, Matthew Mott, and chat all things pressure and expectations, honesty sessions, leadership, and what speeds fast bowlers can reach. Most importantly, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> 2020, can you New believe decade. it? I know. Yeah. How, did you, how would you uh, describe your last decade? Busy, fulfilling. Yeah, big family time. Uh, yeah. Obviously, two kids in that decade. So, well, one in the decade before, actually. Jai's just before that. But yeah. yeah, Miller come in. She's changed the world up a little bit. She's, she's got a bit of spunk about her. Yeah, she has. <laughs> she's full of energy, 24-7. So, when she goes down, we all get to have a rest. <laughs> Other than that, not too much. Could you see her playing cricket for Australia? Uh, I could see her being passionate about something. I, yeah. I don't know whether it's cricket. But she has sat down a couple of times and said, I want to watch the cricket with you, Daddy. Like, yeah. So, that's already... More, more than probably Jai's ever sat down to watch. Jai's yeah. more of a doer. But yeah. I think Miller's first taste of cricket she loves. I mean, she's getting a bit spoiled at the moment in, in and around this Australian team. So, yeah, she, I think she doesn't realise how good she's got it. Yeah, and for those that don't know, we're sitting in the Intercontinental Hotel in Double Bay. It's New Year's Day. Sydney Test is about to start, a couple of days away with the Australian men's team. And, of course, you're getting prepared for all things World Cup as well. I want to go back before we get to yep, no the, the current state of play. I interviewed Charlotte Edwards recently, and I said, are you the most famous person coming out of her town yep. in, in England? And she said, of course she was. <laughs> Can I say the same about you for Charleville, Queensland? It was almost 700 kilometres from Brizzy. It's in yeah. the middle of nowhere. Can yeah. you say that? Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. Uh, Mum and dad both school teachers, and mm-hmm. uh, my dad got posted out there. So I, I was born there, only lived there for two years, unfortunately, yeah. and, and it, it hurts me to say this, I have not been back yet. Oh, it's it's me? on my bucket list okay. to do. And something Joe, my son, is very big on is getting back out there. So yeah. it's quite funny how, because it just stands out, doesn't it? You don't really hear of Charleville. No. Some great stories about growing up and, you know, bore water in the streets and, you know, very dry place, you know, red dust everywhere. So yeah. I really do want to get back there and, and have a look around. I did when it's funny when you're getting prepped for interviews and you go through the usual as we have coffees arriving which is probably needed when you you look at it all and there's the first thing that comes up is your Wikipedia page and your photo is Trent Woodhill do you know that? yeah I do (laughs) yeah my my brother-in-law picked that up on that one day and and sent it to me and because he knows Trent Woodhill um, from down in the Shire and he's like and he's like have you tried to change this? And I haven't ever really bothered, bothered to change it. But, yeah, I don't think we look that similar either. But we're oh. both in blues kit and that's close enough, I guess. <laughs> if you had a photo, what would you change it to? Uh, Is there a photo that stands out for you? No, not really. I, I get to find a photo that's done me justice, Mel, to be Ooh, honest. Okay. There's a challenge <laughs> for 2020. <laughs> I always look at them and go, ah, surely I'm, I'm looking better than that. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, I do notice over the years, though, that there's a lot less hair on the head than there probably was. So probably something in my mid-20s I'd try and hang on to, maybe in my days down in Victoria. But okay. It's been a while between good photos. I'll, I'll find you one and we'll pop it up for the podcast preview. Thanks. Thanks. I do ask everyone what is their most... Vivid, enjoyable, passionate sporting memory during their life. It could be playing cricket, completely different sport. Yeah, I, I think possibly there's one recent one and one long-term one from watching sport. Yeah. Definitely the first AFL grand final that the Lions won. Obviously, I'd, 
I grew up supporting them as, at the at the Bears because they used yeah. to play our cricket oval at Carrara. So I always liked them, and when they were getting flogged, it was hard to love them. <laughs> and then they finally had some success, and that, that first final, I jagged a ticket late, oh, and it right. was one of the great days. So I was with my, my sister's boyfriend, who was an Essendon supporter and that, and Ooh. just by the end of the afternoon, <laughs> it was just a fantastic day, and just the whole vibe of grand final. I don't yeah. think anything can really compete with that. Just two teams, and it's such a big day, and... They might never play in it again, and yeah. I think that uh, the whole aura around the, the MCG yeah. is pretty special. But I recently got uh, jagged the ticket, and Meg Lanning went as well to the President's Cup, and I'm, yeah, I'm a mad golf golfer, I love my golf, and to see that many good golfers in one venue at one time, followed Tiger around for a little while, probably took it for granted years ago, 20 odd years ago, he was in Melbourne, and you thought, oh, we'll just keep seeing him over and over again. And, How things and, can but, change. Yeah, and his life certainly changed a lot, but... Yeah, as a as a golf nut, that was pretty special, and I'm a huge fan of the Ryder Cup as well. So any any time that's on, I'm, I'm pretty locked in. Did you play golf as a kid? I did. I wasn't much of a golfer. I, I probably the older I've got, I've got more into it. And sort of when I made a decision to sort of we live in Brisbane, so my my first love is surfing in the beach, yeah. and that's pretty yeah, unreasonable to you know, jump in the car for an hour and hour and 20 minutes to get to the beach so golf probably taken over a lot in the last five or six years but equally passionate about both okay so when you were a kid what was your go-to sport soccer actually the soccer yeah. fields across the road so it was easy for mum and dad but i always thought i would have been a better league or union player but i probably took it up too late yeah and i was a bit soft i wasn't keen on the tackling the boys <laughs> <laughs> so uh i was pretty i was all right touch footy and stuff like that but it was yeah, yeah just if one regret, I would have started playing league a bit earlier and yeah. learnt to tackle properly and, and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I like all sports. I really do uh, love all the sports that Australia plays especially. So, yeah, rugby union, I've probably in the last 10 or so years, especially in my time when I was in Wales, where it was like, mm. such a big rugby culture, got into that. Anytime the Wallabies play, I, I get a bit frustrated when they lose. So <laughs> been some lean years, but hopefully it's, they're going to turn things around. So we've been chatting for 10 minutes. You've, you've hardly mentioned cricket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's funny. Um, yeah, I, I, I am absolutely mad on cricket. But yeah, like at times you sort of need to get away. And, and I think it's a, for me, that's the one thing I learned. Is, and that's hopefully what we get through the players. It's such a great game, but it can consume you. And so it's really important to have other outlets. Do you think it consumes you more than other sports can? Yeah, I do. I think that just the time yeah. involved. Think of it's not so much bad in our game, but you know, test matches and stuff like that. Like yeah. you could be playing for four days, you could be playing for five days. You know, trying to plan in and around it, it's mentally quite exhausting. I think we're pretty lucky only playing one days in T twenties, and so even training around that is, is a lot more concise. And I suppose you can get in and get out a little bit easier. But yeah, no, I absolutely love cricket. I've really, especially the last couple of years, where our team's got to, it's an absolute joy to turn up to work and just work with people who are so passionate and driven yeah. to be the best they can be. Not too many people get that opportunity, do they? In a work sense. No, you know, it's, and I suppose it's the same for you. It's like, it never really feels like work. It's hard being away from family. That's probably the hardest thing about the job, especially the young kids. You know, saying goodbye to my 11-year-old son now who can't understand why I've got to go away for yeah. six or seven weeks. That's hard. But they get into a routine when I'm away. I get into a routine. And thank God for, for Skype and you know, FaceTime and stuff like that. I, I really think it would be a struggle without that, not being able to see them. Yeah, it's funny. At the start of the tour, they, they're full attention and all that. By the end, they hardly give you a look in. So um, for Taryn and I, though, it's very, very good. We spent a lot of time apart. And we've both lived pretty 
good independent lives yeah. outside of that. But when we get back together, it's, it's fantastic as well. Do you think that's one of the biggest differences and changes between the men's and the women's side? Your wife, Taryn, works with uh, Cricket Australia and, and helps deal with the men's side of things. And yep. Is in and around the fact that the organisation of family time around a massive content of cricket, yep. it's now getting more and more like that for the Australian women's team now, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, when you first started, was that 2015 yeah. as the coach? There was probably, you know, there might be a World Cup in a year and then yeah. you'd sort of float around the Australian summer watching um, domestic cricket and there might mm. be one other tour kind of thing. Yeah, That's ab- ramped up massively, hasn't it? It has. And it'll be really interesting because we're still waiting on the next Future Tours program from the ICC, but... It went from, I used to work it out, it was around about 110 days camps and um, playing away. So I, I would, counted. would you be training more than playing? Back then we were, yeah. yeah. We had a lot of big camps in, at the NCC in Brisbane. But now they're, they're a lot smaller camps. We get in and, and get out and get things done. And, and, and also just how well the states have been doing with their resourcing now. We, yeah. we can actually let them be in their home, hometowns when they're home. And we know they're going to turn up in really good condition and, and be ready to go. So... But last year, I think it was 200 days, 210 days I worked out that uh, was not in my own bed. So that's, that's quite a significant that's jump. And, I, you know, and then you see someone like Justin Langer, who's probably away 310 days. So yeah. it's, a, it's a tough one on families. Um, that, that's the hardest part of the job. But we, we love doing it, and yeah. we've got very understanding wives that you know, allow us to try and make those sort of dreams happen, I guess. Yeah. When you first transitioned into coaching, was that something that you were mindful of? Because you've, you've come out of playing where you spend you know, a fair chunk of the summer away, yep. and then you go into a, a job where you could be picked up anyway. When you're trying to get your foot in the door too, yep. you're probably going to take any kind of opportunity you possibly can. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I sort of fell into it a lot quicker than I thought I was going to. I guess in the back of my mind, I always thought that coaching or teaching would be where I'd end up. My brother was a phys ed teacher, and... Unfortunately, didn't get the marks to get into phys ed. It was quite highly, highly ranked. Join the club, don't worry, it took me a while too. (laughs) But I'd end up studying teaching, but not not phys ed, which was higher. And so I always loved education. Mum and dad, both teachers, other sister was a teacher. So it's it's sort of in the blood. And I did my level three, level, sorry, level one when I was 16, I think. So so I did have an appetite for coaching. Guy who was a Dave Gilbert, who you'd know, who ended up CEO. And and that's sort of how it all, it's funny, it's sliding doors moments. Went and did my level one with him. And then I was sort of washing up my cricket career with Victoria and thinking of heading back to Queensland and maybe taking up a development officer's type role in Queensland. And literally a sliding door moment was that ended up at the AB medal that year because someone pulled out at late notice. (laughs) <laughs> ran into Dave and Christina Matthews, who was then the marketing manager. Mm-hmm. And they were asking what I was going to do. And I said, oh, I think I'll head back to Queensland. And then about three weeks later, obviously a, a seed was sown that night. Um, Dave Gilbert rang me out of nowhere and said, we're thinking of this position as a as a player coach in our second eleven, similar to what they used to do in England, where you, you weren't really a prominent player, but you sat there and helped guide the captain and, yep. and the younger players. And, yeah, he said, would you be interested? I said, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> and then I went back to Victoria and told them that I was going to finish up. And Sean Graff at the time sort of made a counter offer, but I, I actually thought I probably need to get away from the playing group that I've just played with. Yep. And so it was, a, it was definitely a move. It was out of my comfort zone into Sydney, but it was probably the best move I've made. You mentioned not coaching players that you've just played with. Yep. I'm hopefully going to grab 
corner, Lisa Kitely at some stage. She went through that same sort of yep. period as coming out of the game and then coaching the Australian women's cricket team straight away, but it was still quite a, a crossover with you know coaching players that she'd played with. Yeah. Do, you, do you think coaches need that sort of time away? I do, and I'd be interested to see what Lisa says, yeah. but she uh, privately she said the same to me. She didn't think that she was quite ready for that role when she first took it over and I think that's why she probably ended up going to England and mm-hmm. you know getting over there and, and coaching their yeah. system and then she's back she's been a bit of a boomerang hasn't she she? she's been. back and forth but no, I'm really happy for her I yeah. think she's a lovely person I've known her for a long time from Cricket New South Wales days and she's exactly what they what they need I think I think she'll be really good for them she's, she knows how to play the game and she's done some great things in Perth and I think she knows their system well so it's not yeah. just chucking an Aussie in to an English system she actually knows their system knows their younger play as well so they're going to be a formidable force under her leadership for sure What's your biggest strength as a coach? I think I uh, I've got a lot of empathy I think I can being a bit of a battler as a player myself I can see when people are struggling and I can you know try and get down to their level and talk to them about some strategies to, to be better but I, yeah I, I think uh, I just like people mm. uh, I think it's probably the, the biggest thing that I, I just genuinely I just like helping <laughs> no, pe- I like helping people yeah. and I like seeing people get better and yeah that's always been part of how I, I roll and probably looking back on reflection it probably got me into a few teams that you know, maybe statistically I didn't deserve to be in at times yeah. because I do I just like seeing others get better yeah. and um, yeah I think that's what we've tried to do certainly as a team we've got some fantastic support staff that have come in the last couple of years and, and even those before that just built a really strong foundation and our players often remark how they just love being back around our group and, and yeah. to me in elite sport, if you can get that where people enjoy hanging around each other, yeah. that's the gold standard, isn't it? And, and when people turn up and they want to make it a better place, when you've got talent, yeah, that's really exciting. Is that one of the biggest strengths of the Australian women's cricket team at the moment? I mean, I think a lot of people sort of look at the program here in Australia and are quite envious, I guess, and that's yeah. because of an investment and a, and a vision that started quite a long way back. Mm. But you, you look at the Australian team now, they're, they're on record runs there you know they're winning world cups they're probably one of the most recognized brands in australian sport mm. at the moment as well which yeah. and a lot of other countries would be you know very very envious of yeah i'm going to go back to 2017 because it's for an outsider looking in it seems like one of the pivotal points when you guys lost the the semi-final of the world cup to yep. india and there was a lot of chat about some you know going away and, and having a meeting and there's some sort of honesty session and pretty hard yeah. session at that. Yeah. Was, it, was that a turning point, do you think, for the team? Undoubtedly, yeah. In my whole playing and coaching, I don't think there's been a bigger change that I've seen in a team. So just to wind back, we, we got knocked out. And as most things, like you're preparing to play in a final. We, we mm-hmm. had our head around, you know, we're going to be in the final. We fully expected to be there. We knew India were a very good team. We yeah. certainly didn't underestimate them. But in our own minds, like, this is, this is our time. And we'd, had, we'd seen some cracks for a while. We, we'd, we were playing quite conservatively, and so we were relying on our pure talent for a long time. And there's a couple of instances in the, in the lead-up where Adipato took us down. Made Crystal. A, yeah, beautiful 100. But that was sort of one of the signs as well. We just didn't react really well to it at all. Yeah. And as a team, we'd spoken about it quite a bit. Like, we can't just keep relying on our talent to get us over the line, which it did in that match. Yeah. And we knew it was coming. We knew there was just going to be someone who just took the game on and took it away from us. And it wasn't until that happened that a penny dropped with everyone. It's yeah. like, so you, didn't want, you needed that loss for. We a sort of did, and exactly. I hate to say that, and yeah, it was amazing, probably probably in my time. I don't think I've ever been more devastated by a loss. You know, it was just, 
it was gut wrenching because we've been playing we've been playing okay and we yeah. thought we were a good chance of winning that and it just it, it was like a mad hour and it, you know when you talk about teams and everything just seemed in fast motion like yeah. and you could see that on the players' face you look back like they were rabbit in the headlights and, yeah. and they all admitted that and it wasn't until you know, even the break the break so we run off in the break and they're trying to and I remember speaking to Pete our sports psych Peter Clark I said mate I, you know, what did you think because he, yeah. he's good at critically analysing what we're doing he said mate you couldn't have done much more and trying to slow everyone down and say right that didn't end well let's just get back on track yeah. but it was everyone was just it was madness for, and we had to get back out there in seven minutes of bat because yeah. it was over time and stuff so it, it was a great learning curve for everyone coaches, players alike and we got back. We so everyone scarped at the end of that tournament because we, you know, did, we, just, we yeah, didn't plan yeah, it for yeah. that. So we didn't really get a chance to debrief it. And it was about four months later we met up for planning for that the Ashes in Australia. And Pete and I sat down and we deliberated over this for hours, trying to work out what was the best strategy. We knew we had to put that to bed and then prepare for the Ashes. And we yeah. we tried to get our head around it. We eventually came up with this theory that we played Harman Preet Corps innings. With no sound, no nothing in the darkness in the room of the NCC, and we just played it. Yeah, and then well, I'm glad you didn't listen to the commentary. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 I don't think I'll ever want to listen to that. So we sat there in that room and we watched the, her whole innings. Yeah, and then we didn't say a thing. We just put chairs around the circle, and one by one the players just unloaded. You know, Meg Lanning said she hadn't really slept because she was so embarrassed about the performance. Jess Johnson went and spoke about how she felt and all that sort of stuff and it was just so emotional you know it yeah. was really emotional but it was the best thing that we've ever done you know we, everyone poured out their emotions and we left it that day like we let let that happen and then we said right tomorrow we come back and we plan for the ashes and so uh, i'm going to take you back to to the game itself then yeah. after the game when yep. everyone was in the change rooms did you think that you'd get to this point or like what was the reaction in the, in the change rooms itself it was pure disbelief i think yeah i think in tournament play, people understand that it's a pretty fickle game. But even, like, we were probably more vulnerable in T20 at that stage than we were in one-day cricket. Even though, I think in our, our T20 record at that stage was hot and cold. Yeah. Our one-day strategy was pretty pretty good. And over a period of time, we'd always feel like we could get back into matches. But, yeah. So we weren't, certainly weren't planning to be knocked out. <laughs> in the rooms after, it was... It was just disbelief, and credit to everyone. Like we did, we did then all catch up at the hotel later and made sure that we all stood together and, and yeah. you know. And but it was there was not a lot of cricket chat. It was like trying to like almost forget it straight away. Mm. So that that yeah that that grieving it didn't happen until you know as a group until that NCC meeting. And we've just got so much better. I mean, someone like Rachel Haynes has come in to our team, made such a difference about how we speak in our meetings before and after and how accountable we are to be really honest in those meetings. Yeah. And she's got a great fluff radar. If someone's talking <laughs> fluff and, you know, trying to dilly-dally around things, she'll, yeah. she'll call it. And that's been infectious in our team now. So when we have our team meetings, we can quite honestly dissect the game without, you know, tread, worrying about treading on toes. And that, yeah. that wasn't part of how we're operating at that stage. Everyone was a little bit, yeah. if I say this, yep. someone will get upset. Yep. So... And, and it's just, it, I think, because it was almost like we hit that rock bottom. It's like, if we keep doing the same things here, we're just going to keep getting the same, same results. So, you know, I, I credit Rachel, and even things like Meg Lanning spending time out of the team. I think 
you know yourself that everyone basically the perception was if if Mega or Pez didn't get runs we couldn't we couldn't win and rightly or wrongly that's what people thought and so her out of that team and then other players took an opportunity to step up your Boltons your Moonies those yeah. sort of players that, that really stepped up and did extremely well so and Rach herself you know she took on a lot of leadership she got confidence in the group. Yeah. And the best thing about Rachel, I guess, is that she's happy to be the vice captain as well. Like it, she doesn't need to be captain to, to lead. And yeah. I think that's a really strong part of our group. Before we get on to the, the World Cup, is there a standout moment where you've been the proudest as a as a coach? And I don't don't think that has to be winning ashes or World Cups. Yeah. Is there a moment we just stood back and thought yeah, we're, we're there, we're, you know, this yeah. is... Well, I think it's pretty easy, but that World Cup in the West Indies for me, that was the most, you know, talk about teams. We'd been good for a long time, but we hadn't had anything to show for it. Like, we'd won Ashes and stuff like that, yeah. but just to be able to sit back, watch that group of, <coughs> pardon me, players and staff, and we sat on the pitch there afterwards, and, you know, I, I, that's, that's the happiest I've been, like, in terms of pure relief, because... There was an expectation at that stage for us to win, mm-hmm. but then trying to combat that, that relief and actually just sit back and enjoy it. And yeah. it was a real, I guess, conscious effort to make sure really enjoyed it because it had been a tough road. You know, we, we'd had our, when, it, when you're expected to win a lot, the losses, you know, take their toll. Yeah. So I was just relieved, Meg especially, you know, she'd been captain for a long time, one of the greatest players in the history. Mm-hmm. But you know, hadn't hadn't won it as captain. So just her, yeah, you know, she's not an emotional person at all. Uh, but her reaction, you know, the way she that grabbed lead. Ash at the yeah. end, like that's just you don't see that too often. So that's how much it meant to us. It's been a long time without a World Cup for a good team. So yeah, I think that that was certainly the time. But I think the whole since two thousand seventeen, just the way that the players in particular have just been really honest with each other and accountable for their actions and I think yeah. the, the group pretty much self-governs now and as a coach you know we're a very lucky coaching staff we can actually coach rather than having to manage and that's you yeah. know in, in, in a lot of teams a lot of your time is spent managing behaviours but this yeah, group they manage themselves you know it's very rare like if anything we just have to slow them down and make sure they don't work too hard that, that's <laughs> that's the biggest thing is, yeah. is we're worrying about burnout because they they're so driven I'm going to give you time to finish your coffee. We're yeah. going to take a quick break here yeah. and we're going to come back. We're going to chat about expectations because I think that's probably yep. one of the, the key drivers to, to winning a World Cup at home. On SEN, this is Road to the T20 World Cup with Mel Jones. Does the word expectation scare you a little bit to get nervous about a home world cup uh no not really i I think and i think uh, i don't want to steal the thunder but we're all catching up on the 15th and one of the main themes i think is uh and i spoke briefly to um michael lloyd the other day about the men's when they prepared for the 2015 Mm. and they just went out and said let's let's go out and grab it and have a good time and I, i think it's been such a long time since we've had a World Cup. You can you can look at it as a millstone around your neck, or you're yeah. just a great opportunity to play in front of your home fans and friends. And that's going to be our messaging, basically. And expectation is a good thing. Like it means you're going pretty well as a team if people are expecting you to win. And we we all also smart enough to know we we found out the hard way that tournament play is very different. You know, if it, if we're playing a bilateral series against teams, 
you can have a bad hour or, or you know a bad game and get back into the series. Yeah. So, and especially T20, we know how how hard it was to win the last one in the West Indies and how many things just went our way at the right time and we won some critical moments. So we're certainly under no illusion that it's going to be hard work. But it's almost like, let's embrace it. If people want to call us favourites, that's fine. Yep. Once the first ball's bowled, that goes out the window anyway. We start on the same points as everyone else. <laughs> yeah. There's great teams out there. You know, England, I think South Africa, just looking at their players in the WBBL this year, are going to yeah. be a real force. India, we know, are incredibly dangerous, and we play them in the first game. So it's going to be an unbelievable World Cup. Obviously, we'd love to be there at the MCG on that final day, International Women's Day, and that's something that will certainly burn um, for everyone. But... There's just so much cricket before then that we need to win and do well in before we get that opportunity. Before you mention you're a coach now that is actually coaching and not managing, do you feel as if that might sort of sway back a little bit for this tournament? Because the hype is it, it's building now. Once the sort of the, the test series for the men is done and dusted and mm. Big Bash is done, it'll really build up the fact that they've revamped the the old come on Aussie come on yeah. song and all those yeah. sorts of things that particularly maybe for the for the younger players within the squad that I know the squad's not picked yet but yeah. there will be a, a lot of management around that won't it yeah there will but we've got some great staff who, who do that I mentioned before Peter Clark who's a sports psych and we're going to make sure that we really prioritise what's what's important and make sure that players there's no we have a no surprises policy so all that stuff around media we try and communicate that as early as we can yeah. and we, we're going to accept that there's going to be greater demand it is a short tournament. It's pretty much in and out. So yeah, the players have now, and which is absolutely critical, had three weeks off around Christmas. So they're recharged, ready to go. When we get back together on the 15th, we'll start really fine-tuning our planning, getting our, make sure our roles are really clear. Mm. And so just concentrate on what's in front of us. Like we, you know, it's a cliche, but the process is more important. So if we get, get all our ducks in a row and make sure that we're switched on and, and the, the white noise is what it is, it's in yeah. the background... Embrace it though. I think it's really important that we don't shy away from it. Yeah. The results will take care of themselves. We, you know, whoever wins this World Cup will have played a lot of great cricket. And they probably had a bit of luck along the way. So hopefully that luck falls our way. We'll be doing everything we can. It's the same. I think you talk about getting the monkey off the back, but the last World Cup was like a gorilla off the back. So I actually do think that we'll go in. I think we went into the last World Cup hoping we'd win it and not make mistakes. I hope we go into this World Cup going. Let's go out and really take this on. We talk about fearless in our culture. So this is an opportunity to really live and breathe that and take it on. What an opportunity to you know, potentially play in such a huge crowd. And that's the carrot at the end. But we, first game's India and we need to get over them. <laughs> when did preparation for this T20 World Cup start for you? Oh, it's been going on for the best part of all since the last World Cup, really. Yeah. You know, we've watched a lot of WBBL selectors are chatting all the time yeah. about what's, what we need. Uh, we've got some great people at Cricket Australia doing work on venues and matchups. Right, real deep stuff yeah. in terms of you know, combining WBBL numbers with international numbers. So there's a huge amount of work that's gone on behind the scenes. But that, that's all the, the sort of the stuff that the players won't see. And then when we get back to them, we just try and present a real clear and concise plan about how we're going to play in it. It won't change a lot from what we've been doing. I think certainly our T20 cricket has got a lot better over the last couple of years. I think said to you before yeah. that we were probably at 60-40 a few years ago in terms of yeah. win, win rate. That wasn't really where we should be. You know, I think we've improved out of sight in that area and we've obviously had a good run. But, uh, say it again, fickle game T20. So <laughs> it is. you need to start the tournament well and then and grip on and get to those semis and then anyone's a chance. Style of play has been something as a, probably as a commentator and a fan and 
you know, being involved in it all and watching the way in which the Australian women's cricket team go about their T20 game. Style of play has seemed to shifted, and it, I think it's been a, an advantage to other teams too because I think they, they always look towards Australia as to, you know, where's the next step and, yeah. and improving standards. The style of play in terms of just taking the game on particularly in the in the power play and then that sort of top four to five players. Is that a something that you you really focused on to say, okay, the game's here at the moment, we're here at the moment, yep. we've got a chance to just really blow it all open? Yeah, a great question. I, I think it, it definitely, there was a seismic shift in the way we played uh, and that came out of that 2017 World Cup as well. But we did, we ran numbers and like we were, as I said, not winning as many games as we should have, but... The key thing from our batting point of view was we were still only losing four or five wickets. And when you looked at our batting lineup, we had eight people that opened their batting in their franchises in WBBL. So that, that's just a waste of resources. So we actually looked at it quite differently and said, rather than worrying too much about how many wickets we lose in the power play, let's just maximise the power play, take it on. If we lose three, we've got enough batting to cover. And even things like we probably people from the outside are a bit critical about someone like Elise Perry batting in the middle order. But it was all about the strategy of let's get our highest strikers in as early as we can, take advantage. If they get out, it's not such a bad thing. We know we've got Meg, Elise, uh, Rachel Haynes in the middle order who can sum up the game really well, say we need to put the foot on and keep going or we just need to rebuild a little bit here. So it was more about um, better utilising the resources that we had and maximising how many batters we used. It doesn't make sense to only lose three or four wickets when you've got such batting depth. And it's interesting... Then you see some of the WBBL teams that have tried it but p- perhaps don't have that depth. Yeah. They, you, you can't go with as much confidence because you need to know that there's some really good batters behind mm-hmm. you. And yeah. I think that's... When we finally embrace that... Is um, it a hard sell? Because for the top order, yeah. this is their careers and everything to start with too. So if it doesn't come off, yeah. they're thinking, well, sheesh, am I, yeah. am I going to still get picked? <laughs> yeah. yeah it, oh, no, it actually wasn't a hard sell. And that, I go back to the having strong leaders in the group, Megan and Rach in particular. We sat down with each player and went through their roles. And it was in the first time we really tried it was the Tri-Series in India. Uh, and we got some of our, probably our best scores by 40 or 50 runs over there. It was great batting conditions. Yeah. Um, but it was like, this is the way we want to play. Uh, you're comfortable with the role. And it was, you know, it was able to debate and talk about how you could see your role change. But, Across the board, everyone's like, yep, I'll do that. If that's the best for the team, you, you want me to bat there, I can bat there, I can do that role. And so, yeah, just the way, I think the, it's not, you can't just come out and go, this is the way we're going to play, you're going to do this and that. Yeah. So it was about investing time and explaining the rationale behind it. And, and then once we got that and it had immediate success, people were like, yep, I'm in this. Yeah. And some of the things that we've been trying for a couple of years, like I don't think statistically T20 is well represented in terms of a player's value. So we have our own internal system where it's player impact rating. Okay. So we value a lot, like players coming in at six and perhaps getting 13 off seven balls. Yeah. But that's a great effort in their role. They've only got seven opportunities and they've scored 13. So mm-hmm. we'll actually rank that quite high in our in our ranking as opposed to an opener who gets to bat at the top gets to face the new ball and might score yeah. a runner ball whereas the impact from that seven balls might be a lot greater yeah so we in our debriefs we we try and recognize those moments it's the same with the ball so 
inevitably there's a short boundary or a, a crappy end into the wind or whatever. Yeah. So the person who only goes for seven off that over when they're, they're doing the hard yards in the wind will recognise yeah. that in our debrief. So it's quite subjective though. It is. Um, we, have a, we have a ranking uh, each over. So each coach yeah. does a, a win or loss for the overs, yep. for instance, for the bowlers. And then that's accumulated over time. Wicket's obviously important, so that goes into the mix as well. And then economy rates go into it. And then we'll come up with a, a leading bowler for the day and a leading yeah. batter. But it won't necessarily just be the one who's taking the most wickets yeah. because you might get two in the last over, they're donging it up in the air yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed to real impact, knock over their top. So it's, it is subjective, but it, what it does is it recognises the non-traditional things that we measure in T20. And strike rates for batting is really important and winning overs for your team in T20 because that's all about partnership yep. bowling. You know, giving a single away on the last ball or something on purpose so that you're bowling the, right, the other person's bowling the right batter. All those sort of things yep. go into it. So you're sort of utilising the intel of all our coaches yeah. and, but ha- and having some measurements around it. Do you get frustrated that, and it's the T20 game and I get the whole, you know, sixes and fours and, and batters and runs and all those sorts of things, but the Australian bowling unit has been so impressive for such a long time and it feels as if sometimes they're undervalued or underrated yeah. for what they've actually produced. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's changed and I think you look at someone like Megan Shute who's been incredible and, and her evolution is quite staggering, I, I think. Like she's always been a very talented bowler but she had a, a year or two there where she was just sliding her right away a bit and she, she took a lot of critical feedback on board and come yeah. back really well. Uh, she's had number of problems with her, her knees and stuff like that and her training work ethic is, is incredible and you know, someone like Jess Johnson, similar sort of things, injuries. But I, I really think it's been a great evolution of our bowling coaches that have come there. Joey Dawes did some fantastic work yeah. originally with our bowling group and once he moved on, Ash Nofke came in and had a, a really good impact in India yeah. and he was big on changes of pace. And he's impacted the Brisbane Heat with their Yeah, he has. Title, yeah. Yeah. And then Ben Sawyer now has, has inherited a, a team that's very good and he's taken them to another level again so we've, yeah. we've been really fortunate around the bowling group and, and Shelley Nitsche with the spinners you know she's so well respected she's quiet shell but everyone knows you know what she what she needs to do and yeah. she's really good one-on-one with the bowlers she'll take them out for coffee and take the spinners out so they absolutely adore her so we've got a really good mix and we've been very lucky Tim Coyle early days with our, our fielding really set the, set the tone with that. So yeah, we, we're very lucky to, I think, some of the coaches that we've had around this group in the last few years, but the bowling group in particular, talk about 2017 where they, we didn't have a plan B, you know, we were yeah. only plan A and when we were under fire, we just looked around and went, who's gonna help us here? Yeah. To now, we've been got a number of times, but our reaction to how we've been got is so much better. I mean, I think, in the last series against Sri Lanka, when, when Adipadu got that 100 at North Sydney, yeah. um, so a lot of people were going, oh, here we go again. But coaching-wise, we sat back and went, no, no, they're actually making the right decisions here. She's yeah. just playing a fabulous inning. Yeah. And she was hitting balls where we were going to a wider plan, for example, out of the ground. Mm. But we wouldn't have even tried that wider plan. We would have just kept serving it up. So yeah. the willingness to be fearless with the ball has improved and you know, the changes of pace have been... The big part of that, and we're bowling a lot more bumpers now as well, which will please a lot of people. But someone like Taylor Blomink <laughs> coming in, and, and I think I was in commentary with you guys at, in Brisbane this year, and seeing her steam into Beth Mooney in that game there, and you know, yeah. getting her jumping around, I, I think that was probably one of my favourite moments of the season. And, and that's where we want the game to go as well. We want exciting young quicks coming into the game, yeah. and getting the pick of some of the best athletes going around in the next couple of years is really important to that. 
I know we've chatted about this before, but the, the top end for the women's game in terms of pace bowling. Yep. So the, Leah Tahuhu and, and your Taylor, as you just mentioned, then sort of around that, you know, 125, yep. sort of pushing that. Can we sort of get a, a crop of bowlers across all nations in every team where there's, you know, there's probably, you know, one or two bowling about that 130k? And is it important? Yeah, I think it is important. I, I really do. I think, you know, generally when people come and have a look at the game, inevitably they're going to compare it to men's cricket often. Mm-hmm. And the feedback I get is that like, the batting is incredible. Like, it's amazing how close the batters are but the overwhelming thing is the pace and people talk about it and like I don't think it's the be all and end all I I, personally from a coaching point of view I think trajectory and bounce is going to be more more of a player so getting tall bowlers that can hit a length and hit the top Mm -hmm. like a Goswami for example from India I think in the short term that's going to be really achievable and whether or not the other other side of it is short-term pain because they they go for a lot more runs um in our game, the fast bowlers. Mm-hmm. Um, spin's very effective, take the pace off, you can only get hit to certain areas. Whereas our batters don't mind the extra pace on it. If you, yeah. you know, we see Aaliyah Tahuhu come in the bowl and you know it's either gonna be feast or famine. You know, yeah. like it, she's gonna either knock a couple over or you know, it's a really good run scoring opportunity. Yeah. So that that's where coaches and captains need to persevere and think of the long term and you know, keep rewarding players who wanna come in and bowl quick. But I, I do, to your point, I do think it's coming. I think there's some, as I said, once you start really getting the pick of the, the crop and then in terms of athletes coming through, they have got the engine to bowl quick. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting now coaching and, and strength and conditioning, right? And it's there. But I think realistically, 130 is going to be around the limit. Mm. I think there's not going to be too many who are going to bowl much quicker than that. And I don't think you need to bowl much quicker than that. There's the challenge out there for everyone. We're looking for a couple of 130s just <laughs> yeah. to prove them wrong. Maybe yeah. 135. Bring you it reckon on. 135? No, no, no. I'd just love to see that. <laughs> Wouldn't we just? Um, okay, a couple of quick ones to finish up with because I know we've got we've got to go Kirribilli House yes, and meet yeah. the Prime Minister. <laughs> right, how life changes. All right, if you of all the players in the international game at the moment that you wouldn't mind having a coaching session with outside of Australia, who would it be? That I could coach. Yeah, yeah, you'd have a little session with. Um, I'm a huge Sophie Devine fan, as, yeah. as, as a lot of people are, and I actually, yeah, I, I think there's some parts of her game which I could help with as well. Yeah. So, like, I just see. A huge talent, but I do. Yeah, there's some parts of her game that I reckon that if she unlocked, probably just more her consistency. I reckon with the bat or the ball, with both. With both. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I watch her bowl, and she she's one of those bowls that rips in and, and yeah. does that probably tries a little bit too much at times, and you just like doesn't back her her stock ball, which is very dangerous outswinger. Yeah, and batting wise, just some work against spin. I think yeah, I think she can knock anyone out of the park, and when mm-hmm. she's set, but just probably starting the game, so she'd be one. Um, I don't know. Uh, Amelia Kerr to me is is a huge talent as well. Yeah. So probably going to the Kiwis. But yeah, I, I, looking at her bowl, I remember her bowling at Mount Monganui a couple of years ago against Meg. Mm-hmm. Meg made a hundred. I don't think she's ever had to work harder for a hundred. I think Kerr bowled eight overs straight at a. I don't remember bowling a bad ball. It was yeah. a mixture of wrongins and great leggies in there. As a teenage leg spinner. As a teenage leg spinner, <laughs> and she can obviously bat as well. Mm. I mean, her innings at the NCC this year when she. Whacked four fours, three covers in an yeah. over to win them that game. So, yeah, those two probably the standouts. Yeah, obviously I'll get to see a few in the 100 this in year 100, over yeah. there with um, uh, the fire, the Welsh fire. So that'll be interesting. And yeah, I, that's a really exciting competition. I know you and I have spoken a bit about yeah. women's IPL, but to me that's just another one that's going to be great globally for the game. And certainly for our players, it comes at a really good time in the in the off season to yeah. to get us up and about and get ready for that one day World Cup coming up in New Zealand. 
time frame on a female coach of a big bash team, men's big bash, it's or already a, happened, hasn't it? Pricey, yeah, head coach. <laughs> yeah, look, I think Shell was a trailblazer a few years ago. She mm. she obviously got in uh, the men's pathway. I don't think it's far away. I don't mm. see why not. Like and quickly, and um, yeah, Shell in our setup is is a great coach. And yeah. to me, um, it's just about those those. Coaches wanting to to risk it, risk it for the biscuit, as Meg always says. You know, the, <laughs> do you want to go out there and go that way? And yeah. uh, we've always spoken, and Ben Oliver, I know, is big on it as well. Is that we should be able to seamlessly go from one to another. You yeah. know, I've done work with the men's team. There's no reason why we can't get those opportunities. And mm-hmm. and then it's just about developing rapport with players, and uh, inevitably they will pump you up and say you're a good coach or you're not a good coach. So <laughs> whether you're male or female, it shouldn't make any difference at all. Yeah. Um, I think some of the best critical analysis people in the game are, are females and they're really leading the way and it's just big, it's it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't see a female in the commentary box and now yeah. you don't even notice that um, male or female it's just yeah. critiquing the game for what it is and and coaching is about developing relationships with with players and staff and trying to get the best out of them so I, I can't can't think why it's why it's such a big issue 91,000 at the MCG March 8 International Women's Day Katy Perry, I don't know if you know her songs, are you ready to sing or not, but <laughs> what would it mean to you? Uh, it'd be huge. I don't think you could yeah, possibly think of a much more important day for sport, I think, in this country, not just female sport, but it is as global as you're going to get, as you said, 90,000. It's an amazing carrot for our group to get to, but whoever the two teams are there, they will be pioneers. Uh, there's never going to be a bigger match in I think in the history of women's cricket, if if you can play the MCG in front of a, even if you got sixty thousand there, yeah, if you um, fall short, yeah. it's still oh, it's yeah. still going to be chockers. Talking about expectation, we need to manage that expectation. Yeah. But I don't think they could be doing too much more. You know, I've been mm. driving around the streets. There's posters of our players everywhere. Nick Hockley and his team have, have really gone out and they've been ambitious. And when we first heard about, it, we're like, wow, you really think you can do that? And then things like Katy Perry pop up, yeah. and you, you know. He, even you'd expect her to be able to drag 30,000 in. So those sort of things, it's International Women's Day, like all the cards are, are falling into favour. Yeah. We've got to play our part, obviously, and, and try and get there. Mm-hmm. We're more than aware that it's going to be bloody hard work, but it's exciting to think of what, what that could be. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's an amazing the way, you know, even to just go stand alone for that World Cup in Australia initially, and then to, to put it on the scale it's been, Certainly, you can't say they haven't had a crack. Everything, everyone that's been involved so far has really put it up there. Hopefully, they get their just rewards, yeah. and and we do as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. And I almost got through the entire time without showing my bias there. <laughs> <laughs> Moddy, really appreciate it. You've always been so open to, to chatting all things Australian women's cricket, but just cricket in general. I do wish you all the best for the World Cup. Thanks, Steve. And uh, yeah, he is hoping that uh, on International Women's Day, where um, everyone is smiling. Got then. There, you go. So, there you go. Perfect. Perfect way to finish yeah. this. Cheers, <laughs> Cheers, Mel. Thanks.